Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that is living on sponge cake and Corona Ritas. He is the captain. Why, my nickname was the Papatoose of Love. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are drinking DDH noise pollution by the good folks at Southern Grist. This double IPA featuring Calypso, Citra, and Vic Secret, this beer packs a soft mouthfeel, low bitterness, and an explosive hop profile. ABV, 7.5% garage grade, 5 out of 5 bottle caps. And today we are giving thanks and praise to some of our very best listeners. First up, we have Beth in Memphis. And a big shout out to Adam in Athens, Georgia. And here's the cheers to Candy in Quillicum Beach, British Columbia. And a big shout out to Ray J and Parts Unknown. And here's a cheers to Michelle in Solberry, Pennsylvania. And last but not least, sending love, we have Wendy, a.k.a. the British Lady on a Scooter. So thanks to everybody for going to our website and helping out with this week's beer fund. If you want to fill up the fridge for next week's show, go to TrueCrimeGarage.com and click on the donate button. Yes, thank you so much for the support. Thanks for selling out the sticker packages two days in a row we sold them out then we put them back up and sold out again so be patient we're working on getting another package together if you'd like to support the garage and get something in return go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the store page and that is enough of the business all right everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime When we left off yesterday, Captain, we were introducing to everyone an individual by the name of Randy Woodfield, and he came to the attention of police because they were investigating a homicide that took place. His name was connected to the victim. 
they were able to prove through witnesses that Randy Woodfield knew the victim. And they strongly believed that whoever killed Julie Wrights knew her. Right. So he worked with her at a bar at some point, And I also believe that he possibly went on a date or at least pursued her, was interested in dating her. And police found several pieces of evidence at the crime scene itself, at the murder scene, to suggest that whoever killed Julie Wrights, she let the killer into her home and spent some time speaking and spending time with this individual before the murder occurred. Now, he has put himself in the hot seat because when they go to interview Randy and talk to him at his apartment, he says he did not know her, Mm -hmm. and they have proof of otherwise. So now they're very interested in taking him down to the department where they can further question him and maybe turn the heat up a little bit on this guy. So... Let's find out more about Randy Woodfield real quick. He was born in December of 1950 in Salem, Oregon. He grew up in Otter Rock, Oregon. He is the third child of a upper middle class family. So where on last week's episode, we were talking about children growing up with disadvantages. This is not that situation. This guy, he had every advantage out there going for him. He was in an upper middle class family. He had a good family. And then on top of that, he was a a gifted athlete. Yeah, he was a white male. Yeah, and he was a football star at the Newport High School. Now, he was also a basketball star. He played baseball. He was on the track team. This was the athletic darling of the high school. Now, he did have some problems. And these were problems that he caused himself. Woodfield began to exhibit sexual dysfunctional behaviors during junior high school. This is because he was exposing himself in public. Mm. And this continued on. show and tell. Yeah. Or show no tell. Yeah. This continued when he went to high school as well. But there, there are different variations of the following statement, depending on who you talk to. But it's believed that that there may have been football coaches or maybe even his parents or people in the community that tried to conceal these incidences after he got caught. They didn't want him to be ousted or removed from the football team. Yeah, which is pathetic. Well, it's absolutely pathetic, but the reason why I wanted to point out that there's different variations of that is I don't know, one, which is true, and two... A lot of times, especially back way back then, this was not, it was not uncommon for something like this to be committed by a minor to be swept under the rug and not necessarily just for the sake of this kid to play football. After graduating high school, Woodfield's criminal record was expunged. So he did get brought to charges on some of this. His parents on the record state that they forced him to attend therapy over the incident that he was convicted of. I wonder if there was some kind of trauma in his childhood or, or something like this. Uh, you know, do we know his religious background? Was he raised Catholic? Was uh, just, there's something where it's like him exposing himself in middle school and high school. Where's that coming from? 
it may not have to stem from anything that happened to him. He could just be sexually dysfunctional. Right, correct, yeah. After graduating high school, whatever criminal record he had at the time was expunged. He went on to attend Portland State University in Portland in 1970. This is where he played for the Portland State Vikings, and he played wide receiver. Mm-hmm. He was an offensive football player. This would carry him to the NFL. He was that talented of a receiver. Do we know what team he played for once he made it to the NFL? He he was drafted by the Green Bay Packers. Mm-hmm. So he was drafted in the 1974 NFL draft by the Green Bay Packers. He chose to drop out of college. This is just shortly before graduating. He was attending school seeking a degree in physical education, but when offered the position in the National Football League, he dropped out of school. Is there any record of him uh, pulling out his dinghy while he's in the NFL? Well, his career did not last very long. Mm -hmm. So he was drafted in the 17th round with the 428th pick. Yeah, well, we got to keep in mind – I, you know, I'm a diehard NFL guy. The NFL back then in the 70s was not what it is today. Right. One, you didn't have the number of teams that we currently have. So they they that alone made them have a lot more rounds mm-hmm. uh, for drafting. And this, too, because believe it or not, they didn't pay extremely well. It wasn't like you went to the NFL and you were a millionaire like right. you are today. That was not a guarantee, and people that were were drafted later and just not as good, they made about as much money as people that had regular jobs or regular, you know, if you went to college and had a degree. Probably make more money. You might make a little more. So we already said that 1980, the national average salary was roughly thirteen to 14000 So when he signed with the Green Bay Packers, he did sign a contract. His contract was for $16,000, and this is 1974. Now, this did allow for some incentives should he perform extremely well. So he had the opportunity to make more money. But on top of that, too, I think that they were having so many rounds for drafting these players. I believe that in 73, 74, there may have been a strike as well. So now they need to fill rosters Mm -hmm. because people players are saying we're not going to play for any number of reasons his uh i have his scouting report here which i find interesting so they randy woodfield wide receiver he's listed depending on where you look at six foot or six foot one 170 pounds played for portland state born december 26 1950 He was timed at 4.7 in the 40-yard dash. Notes on player. Cuts on a dime. Has good hands and catches well in crowd. Fluid and smooth. Hustles and is a good jumper. He pulls out his purple-headed yogurt slinger faster than anybody. Well, and that is, it's generally believed that that's why he was cut from the team. That these these incidents is where he's exposing himself or allegations of such right. continued even once he joined the Green Bay Packers. He technically did not ever play a game for them. He was signed to a contract and eventually cut. 
I believe that the Green Bay Packers official stance on this and statement on this is that he just was not good enough to make the team. Right. I don't know if this is another situation, and I'm not, I want to be very, very clear here. I'm not accusing the Green Bay Packers of anything. I don't know if this is another situation where maybe there were others, somebody somewhere covering up or not reporting these, these, you know, incidences because he was an NFL player. Well, it's a great way not to get tackled though. (laughs) This is true. This is true. So, he was in the NFL, and for any number of reasons that you choose to believe, he was cut from the team. Personally, I believe it probably included some of these flashing incidences. One thing that I found interesting regarding his short time with the team is they offered him a flight, a paid flight to get to their training camp, to which he turned down and chose to drive and make his own way there. And I'm not, don't want to suggest anything, but go ahead and suggest it. I just, I just wonder if he chose that because he, he intended on exposing himself or committing any type of crimes along the way. It just, or he could have just been afraid of flying. I don't know, but I found that, I found that to be interesting. Now, after he was let go from the team, he did stick around a little bit and played on their farm team, but, Ultimately, he's let go, and he returns home back to Portland. This is where Randy's going to get into more trouble. In early 1965, there were several Portland women who were basically attacked while they were in a park. And the way that these attacks would go down is it would start off as a robbery. The offender would find an individual, a female, walking by herself, approach them with a knife, threaten them, take their pocketbook during the course of the attack, there was some type of sexual assault. This went on long enough. And there were enough of these attacks that police decided, Hey, we're going to have to figure out who this guy is. And we're going to have to come up with some good strategy to do something about it. Yeah. So they come up with a, a sting operation and they take a female police officer, put her in plain clothes. She, signs up for this and God bless her because you have to be brave to do this. First of all, you know that the person committing this crime is threatening and bringing a weapon to the attack. Oh yeah. On top of that, you're out there by yourself and the other officers that are going to assist you in the sting operation, they have to be a good deal of a ways away because they can't risk being seen by the potential attacker. So this is a very brave officer who puts herself in harm's way, potentially goes out into these parks and walks alone. And it doesn't take very long until she is robbed and attacked. I don't know 100% of the details of the attack or if it was, if she was able to thwart the attack and just put it to, to an end. Right. But one interesting thing that they did was when she would go out there, Remember, robbery was a big part of these attacks. So they put numbered bills. They issued numbered bills and put them in her pocketbook each time. That way, even if the attacker got away, they could trace the bill and then maybe try to figure out who this individual is. This sting operation results in the arrest of Randy Woodfield. So he is charged with not only robberies, 
but he's charged with uh, sexual assaults as well. No, creepo. He ultimately pled guilty to reduced charges of second degree robbery and Woodfield was sentenced to 10 years in prison. He did. He served five of those years or four and a half somewhere in that ballpark, right. but he didn't do the full 10 years. Here was the problem that we have psychologists that were making suggestions regarding the charges for Randy Woodfield, at least the charges he was facing, not what he pled guilty to. But the sexual aspect of those crimes, the psychologists were pointing out that that was the driving force. They believe that was the driving force for the way that Randy Woodfield was acting out. Right, before the actual robbery. So the driving force is sexual, not the actual robbery. Correct. That that just goes along with the whole rest of the attack. Mind you, especially in the in the mid-70s in our country, one thing we were really big on trying to do was rehabilitating offenders and treating criminals to try to make them not be criminals and make them be good citizens. And a lot of that reason is one, the mindset at the time is that a lot of people, they just need to be rehabilitated. They just need treatment. They don't need prison bars. They don't need prison walls. Opportunities as well. Right. But on top of that, you have an extenuating circumstance of, a lot of these prisons were, were full. There's no more room left. So you have to really push the angle of trying to treat and rehabilitate these individuals to try to lessen the population, lessen the prison population. And why he's in prison. I wonder how many times he's, you know, pulling it out. I From all... Four thing, and a half years. That's a lot of pulling it out. Well, from all of the... Uh, Records that I could find, he was a, he had a good record. He was a, a good model inmate, let's say. He mm-hmm. had some infractions. The Flapping into the wind. The one infraction that stands out is he had illegal shoes mm-hmm. that somebody had sent him basketball shoes. Now, in the prison where he was housed at the time, mm-hmm. they were to be in prison uniform right. from head to toe. He chose to not wear the issued shoes, and he had shoes brought in. This, he says, because he had bad ankles, and he he needed he required basketball-type or tennis shoes to wear. So that was his only infraction. He was a bit of a jerk about some of the, the prison rules. Like he, One thing that didn't make sense to him was why should he get penalized for bringing in illegal shoes when you have other inmates that are that are getting away with bringing in drugs right to the prison so he had a big problem with that i don't know that he would have had to expose himself to get any kind of satisfaction or whatever the hell he was looking for when he started doing that in the first place one the population is males and that doesn't seem to be his victim type right but two his other complaint about prison was that there were female employees that worked at the prison. And he said sometimes these employees were in a position where they would see inmates showering or using the restroom and where on the outside, he would tell us that he has a big problem with that. That doesn't seem to go along with flashing your junk off a bridge to some, some girls in the park, Right. right? It just doesn't, does not add up. Hey, look at my potato. So now we are questioning Randy Woodfield 
about this murder that took place of Julie Wrights. Yeah. So they want to know everything they know that he knows or everything that could possibly link him to their case. He does seem somewhat cooperative once he's back at police headquarters answering their questions. Where he starts to waffle on being cooperative is when they say, look, this is very easy. We just need a blood sample, hair sample, and take a polygraph test, and we can just clear you, and we'll move on with our investigation. To this, he says, you know what? Before we do any of that, Jazz, let's, I think I need to call my attorney. Yeah. These detectives are not idiots. They're going to call Randy's bluff. They say, no problem. What's his name? What's his number? We will call him for you. To which he says, maybe I don't, maybe we don't need to involve my attorney. Mm -hmm. And they continue on with their questioning. They want to know how well he knew Julie Wrights because eventually he does admit to knowing her. So now we're going down the path a little further, right? Yeah, but how does that work? I mean, maybe you don't know, but it's like, how does he backtrack on that one? Oh, Julie. Oh, yeah, I know Julie. I'm guessing that he would feel like he was backed in a corner Mm -hmm. at this point, and he has to offer them up something because now they're not. He's on their turf now, and they're not going to. They're not going to back off until he offers right, but up. But you something. see what I mean? Like there's a there's a big difference between somebody coming to the revelation themselves or getting backed into the corner where the, the, now the law enforcement officers know that he's lying about something. Right, and he he does try to present this in some form that that could be perceived as believable. He doesn't admit to knowing her until he is shown a picture of Julie. Okay. And he's going to add to that that, yeah, he knew her, but not very well. And that I think he even said that he was unaware of her last name. Right. Which is very possible if you work in in a bar or a social setting where you might not interact with your coworkers really well. He's also going to provide an alibi for the night that Julie Wrights was murdered. He was somewhat in the area. And they were able to determine that because he stayed or at least booked a hotel room that was a few towns away, let's Mm -hmm. say. So he wasn't terribly far, but his alibi is, look, I went out, I went to this bar, this bar, this bar, this bar, went to bar hopping, and I met a girl along the way, and she tagged along with me for the rest of the night. He never really puts himself much closer than need be with with this very flimsy alibi. He's mm-hmm. unable to provide them with the full name of the girl that was tagging along with him on his adventures. Yeah, I think night. her name was Sarah. Maybe it was Katie. I don't know, Olivia. Well, when they're trying to figure out what kind of relationship, acquaintances or otherwise, did Randy and Julie have, one question they want to know is, did the two of you ever have intercourse did you ever have sex together to which he says no now we're going to circle back around to we want your hair we want your blood and we want to do a polygraph and we want your fake hair as well and he is going to play along with this for a while and pretend that he is going to do that Mm -hmm. here is where things take a turn they contact his parole officer 
because after they after he comes in, they already knew he had a record. But this record states that it was for a robbery. Remember, he pled guilty to second-degree robbery. Right. When they contact his parole officer, they learn a couple of things that are very interesting. One, the parole officer informs them that, yes, he he did confess to second-degree robbery, but these crimes all had a sexual aspect to them. And then secondly, they figure out that he's not living where he was where he told his parole officer that he was to be living. He had not informed the parole officer that he had moved. Right. So now he's already in violation of said parole, and he's playing from behind the eight ball at this point. The parole officer also informs the officers that Randy Woodfield was a suspect in, in a couple of other homicides that took place just months before. Really? These were women that he knew at one time in his life Mm -hmm. and he was questioned in both of those incidences. So one of the crimes took place. This was the murder of Sherry Ayers. This took place. And then you have a month later, the murder of Darcy fix and her boyfriend. Now the, both of these attacks and murders occurred in the homes of the victims. This is why these crimes would not immediately be tied to who they are looking for as far as the I five killer goes, because the I five killer goes into a business and attacks and kills there. Yeah. This is what's so interesting about this case and about this good detective work. We have two detectives that are looking to solve the murder of Julie Wrights. They are speaking to Randy Woodfield regarding the murder of Julie Wrights. Mm hmm. Their whole intent at this point is to either connect him to the murder of Julie Wrights or to clear him and move on and try to find a better suspect. The problem here, though, is they get this information from the parole officer. Now they're so much more intrigued with this guy. They don't believe him to be truthful. They believe that his answers are evasive. And now he's not cooperating. He doesn't want to submit blood, hair, or to the polygraph. Then upon further questioning, now we have a very nervous and a very scared Randy Woodfield. He's starting to show the officers that he's nervous. He's starting to show them that he is afraid of their questions. Better than showing us Peter. Now being backed into a corner, he points out to them, look, I'm not going to give you the polygraph. I'm not going to give you hair. I'm not going to give you blood. I didn't even know that Julie Wrights was murdered until you guys came here and told me. And to which he follows up with, just because I had sex with her does not mean that I killed her. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. 
unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, 
Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Captain. What we are seeing here is what we've seen in other cases that we've discussed before. Mm. When pushed into the corner, when backed into the corner, we have individuals where their story starts to change. And maybe you're getting a little more of the truth or you're getting a bunch of more lies. So in this situation, Randy is now changing his story. The investigators are telling him, your story is not adding up. You said one thing here and another thing there. And then on top of that, you are in a minor, it is a minor violation of his parole, but he is in violation of that parole, to which they are going to really push the issue of the test. They want the blood test, the hair test, and the polygraph test. Mm-hmm. Randy Woodfield informs the officers that he would prefer to go back to prison than to submit and subject himself to those tests. That seems like an odd thing to say. Yeah. If you're innocent and these three tests can clear you of this murder, why would you go, yeah, I'll just go back to prison? Yeah. Doesn't seem, doesn't seem to make any sense. Where if they convict you, that's where you're going anyways. It's very strange. Well, all of this weirdness and then him not being cooperative will ultimately lead to a search warrant. And I believe that I said earlier that he may have been living in Eugene, Oregon. He did move around a little bit, but by the time of the questioning, he had an apartment in Springfield, Oregon. And this is where they are going to serve this search warrant and find some items inside that apartment. What they discovered is a spent 32 caliber shell casing. They found this inside of a racquetball bag. Remember, this matches the caliber of some of our crimes that we've discussed. Yeah. The other thing here, too, is when we were discussing the offender or the profile that was put together of the offender, they had mentioned that he was wearing driving gloves that open up in the back. They did confiscate some racquetball gloves from his apartment that were similar in description right. to what they had. 
Probably the most interesting thing that they found in his apartment was a roll of tape. This was actually a box. There was a box that contained several rolls of adhesive tape. Some of the rolls were used, and a couple of the rolls were missing from the box. What kind of tape was this? Now that we know that he was an athlete, I kind of wondered if this was some kind of tape that was used to, like, uh, back in the 70s and 80s, a lot of the people that played football would, like, tape their fingers up, tape their hands up. My guess, I've never seen the tape, and throughout some of the different attacks and murders, it's described differently. You know, sometimes a Band-Aid, sometimes surgical tape, sometimes adhesive tape. Yeah. When it's confiscated, Ann Rule simply describes it in her book, The I-5 Killer, as adhesive tape. What I'm envisioning is what you just said, that white tape, that strong white tape Mm -hmm. that you see football players wrapping around their ankles. It's almost like electrical tape. Boxers wrapping it around their their knuckles. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yes, that's what I'm picturing. The The great thing here for the detectives, it seems they were they were ultimately searching for a gun. They did find evidence that Randy Woodfield had guns or had access to guns, but they never found a gun in his apartment. They found, like, a receipt for a gun purchase. The caliber didn't match any from the attacks. Mm-hmm. They found a gun cleaning kit. Yeah, but see, here's what I wonder. If you find a receipt for a gun, but you can't find that gun, doesn't it prove to you on some level that this guy purchases guns, then gets rid of them? Well, that would be your suspicion, but you're looking for the gun that matches the description and the caliber and the ballistics for the crimes that you know were committed. Again, I want everybody to keep in mind, when they serve this search warrant, these two detectives are not looking for the I-5 killer. They are looking for whoever killed Julie Wrights. Right. It was not until they found the box of the adhesive tape that the alarm bell started going off because the detectives were well aware of the search for the I-5 bandit and the I-5 killer, but they had never linked that individual to the murder of Julie Wrights. It seems different. Right. It seems 100% different. Mm-hmm. The cool thing here is Randy Woodfield seems very concerned why they want that tape. Why would you bother, out of all the things to take from my apartment, why do you bother taking tape from my apartment? Mm -hmm. This is going to lead to a domino effect that all of this is happening very quickly. But they are able to, they have his mugshot, Randy Woodfield's mugshot, They already know all these jurisdictions that are looking for the I-5 bandit or the I-5 killer or both. So now they're going to send out their information that they have on Randy Woodfield with a picture of of his mugshot from the first time he served in prison, as well as some general information that they know about him. Mind you, what was he driving at the time? A VW bug. They send out this information... And what we have is Lisa Garcia. She will positively identify Randy Woodfield in a photo lineup. Lisa Garcia is somebody that was robbed by the I-5 bandit. Mm -hmm. So shortly after the search of his apartment, Randy Woodfield is taken into custody. This is, depending on where you read and look into this case, you're going to get some variations of why they took him in. 
I'll cut I'll cut out all the crap here. They took him in simply because they knew he violated his parole. That's what we're going to bring you in on. That's what we're going to hold you on. All this stuff that we collected from your apartment could just be a coincidence. We have to prove that it is some type of evidence. Then once he is in their custody, this is when we get Lisa Garcia that comes forward and positively identifies him as the robber, as the person that robbed her. Mm -hmm. This is also compounded with several other Oregon robbery victims coming forward positively identifying Randy Woodfield as their attacker. So this is not just one witness. Now we have multiple victims coming forward. The other thing that they're going to figure out through the course of their investigation and evidence that was collected at Randy Woodfield's apartment, there was a roll of tape that they found that matched tape that was found on the victims. Not only did it match by how it was made, the materials used to make it, Mm -hmm. It also lined up to the point where some of the tear marks met up with the tear marks on a piece that was found on one of the victims. Mm. So what we have here is, yeah, we have a got him situation. Got him. He is taken into custody, custody on March 7th. And it's just nine days later on March 16th that indictments for murder, rape, sodomy, attempted kidnapping, armed robbery, and illegal possession of firearms are initiated this from multiple jurisdictions in both of the states of Washington and Oregon. So how does his uh, trial pan out? The trial takes place in the summer of 1981 and ultimately Randy Woodfield was tried for murder and attempted murder. This is stemming from the trans American title building attack that we discussed in which Sherry Hall was murdered and Beth Wilmot survived the problem for randy here is they do have some evidence linking him to this crime but what's going to really seal the deal is beth wilmot survived the attack and she was also able to sit in front of the jury describe the attack to the jury and point to randy woodfield as being the assailant and being the murderer of her friend yeah on june 26 1989 it took about three and a half hours of deliberation, but Woodfield was convicted on all counts and he was sentenced to life in prison plus 90 years. A few months later, there was a second trial that was being held. This was in relation to the sexual assault charge from the drive-in restaurant where he walked into the restroom and locked the door behind him. Yeah. In this trial, he... You know, there is some evidence again, but mainly it's the living witness that comes forward that helps the prosecution get Randy the conviction for which he receives an additional 35 years that is added on to his already instated sentence. So he, so he got life plus 90 plus Lisa? 35 plus 35. And but that I see. Uh, or what it's claiming on the interwebs is a life imprisonment plus 165. So I wonder if there was another uh, case brought against him. The thing here, too, that's a little weird is, and you will find this in in several parts of the country, especially during this time frame, Mm -hmm. but they really have trouble narrowing down how many potential victims, murder victims, 
Randy Woodfield could have. Mm. The big problem with him is he he struck so fast. His his he was so rapid between attacks. There was a very short cooling off period for this serial killer. Mm-hmm. I've seen numbers anywhere from 12 possible victims all the way up to 44. Yeah, I've seen eight, 18 to 44. And despite the apparent links with countless other crimes and which include homicides, Woodfield would actually not be prosecuted for the majority of the crimes that it is believed that he may have committed. Right. And this is because he's not getting out of prison. You've already discussed his lengthy prison sentence and the state was unable to afford these additional trials for what are crimes that are generally considered by victims, families and law enforcement to to be be closed cases. Yeah, and I think law enforcement can close them on 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 some level, and and I think as long as that's you know because you don't want to have all these trials and give this guy more attention uh, than he deserves, and then spend more money on than on these trials than he deserves. Um, and I think as long as the detectives could come to a consensus of here's the evidence, and we can prove it to the family, and that gives the family closure on, on that level. Uh, hypothetical question for you. Okay. So you, you're on trial. It doesn't matter if you're innocent or guilty, right? But you're on trial. And you get sentenced to life imprisonment plus 165. What's your reaction? What do you mean? What's my reaction? Uh, it is going to matter if I'm guilty or innocent. My reaction. Okay. If I'm guilty, you kind of right. You're like, okay. If you're, yeah, yeah, I did this shit. Okay. If you're innocent. If I'm innocent, I'm I'm outraged. You're you're in hell. Any statement given to the courtroom? No, I, I no, because you you're hoping and you're betting on some appeals during that, you know, to, to write the wrong, if you are in fact innocent. Yeah. So, so I would refrain from acting like a jackass in the court, which is going to be brought up time and time again, which would also that be law enforcement, the prosecutors pointing out, look at the temper on this guy. Right. How can you not, but look how he behaved. How can you not believe that he would uh, be a violent individual or murder people? So, so now you're the judge, right? And I want you to sentence me to uh, life imprisonment plus 65 years. Scene, go. I hereby sentence you to life imprisonment plus 165 years. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> that, that would be my reply. Whether I was innocent or guilty, that would be my reply. Well, Randy Woodfield has never confessed to any crimes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he has, he's even gone as far to proclaim his innocence. Yeah. There's a book out there called The Serial Killer Letters A Penetrating Look Inside the Minds of Murderers. And this is where several serial killers or alleged serial killers, depending on how you want to look at it, share letters, become yeah. pen pals with the author. And in some of Randy Woodfield's letters to the author, he states that not only is he not guilty, Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. but he's he's innocent, and furthermore, he has a suspect in mind for these crimes. And he says that Larry Moore likely committed one or many of these murders. The letters themselves, you can actually find some of them on the internet because I think for whatever reason, after the author was done with these letters, somehow they ended up being sold on the internet. I don't know how that came about, but so these are not super uncommon letters. There is one that stands out more than others. And that's the one where he outrightly names Larry Moore as being the I five killer or who he suspects of being the I five killer. I've read all these letters in this correspondence and not all of them have to do with him proclaiming his innocence, but within some of those letters, it seems weird because it seems at times like he's willing to say that maybe his general theory, Mm -hmm. and it's tough to, to, to deduce this just from the letters because he doesn't outrightly say this is what actually happened. But you can pull bits and pieces from it, and it appears to me like he is willing to admit to being the I-5 bandit, to which he is actually saying that the I-5 bandit and the I-5 killer are two separate criminals. Right. And that he might be good for some of these I-5 bandit cases, but he's not good for any of these I-5 killer cases, to which he points out that Larry Moore would be a better suspect to be the I-5 killer. Well, who is Larry Moore? Why would he suggest that Larry Moore could be the I-5 killer? Larry Moore was convicted of the Oregon Museum Tavern shooting, which took place on May 7th, 1981. So it's all about the same time period, right? In this case, we have Larry Moore who basically walks into a bar with a rabbi and a priest, pulls a gun on the bartender, shoots at the bartender, and then turns the gun on several of the patrons at the tavern. He shoots multiple people. This is a mass shooting, really is what it is. Now, thankfully for a lot of the people there, or at least some of the people there, he has a handgun that at some point he has to reload. And the patrons that were being fired upon realized once he had to reload that gun, let's get this guy. And they charge him and they take him down. He's arrested on the scene. Unfortunately, the killing spree ended with three people dying at the scene. It also injured 20 others. One of these people died in the hospital later that night. And then there was a gentleman that He died nearly 32 years later from injuries that he suffered on that day. So you have Randy Woodfield, who is going to point to this other killer as being the actual killer. There is some problems with that, though, because we do know that in 2001 and in 2006, Randy Woodfield was linked by DNA. We don't need your confession, buddy. He was linked by DNA testing to two additional murders in Oregon that occurred in 1980 and 1981. I think that it's fair to put his number somewhere around that 12 marker seems appropriate. Mm -hmm. But the scary thing here is it almost seems like that might be a very conservative number. We have a gentleman from the Portland Police Bureau This is Jim Lawrence, 
he's a cold case detective. When asked to describe the I-5 killer, he says he killed, and then five weeks later, he killed again. Then it was three weeks, then two weeks. I believe that it would have soon been every few days. He was like the boogeyman. In April of 1987, Randy Woodfield filed a $12 million libel suit against author Ann Rule, the true crime author who had written The I-5 Killer, which is the account of Randy Woodfield's life and crime spree, which became a best-selling book in 1984. The federal court in Oregon dismissed the lawsuit in January of 1988. Thankfully, Randy Woodfield is serving his sentences at the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem, and he is never, ever getting out of prison. All right, thank you guys so much for joining us. Another week in the garage, and thank you so much for telling a friend and sharing on social media. I want to pay tribute to the late, great Ann Rule. If anyone would like to look further into this case, the source everyone goes to is the true crime book, The I-5 Killer by Ann Rule. That will be our recommended reading for this week, and you can find that title as well as others listed on our recommended page at truecrimegarage.com. Ann Rule is one of the best true crime authors of the last 50 years. When she started out, Captain, writing true crime books way back in 1969, Mm -hmm. editors and publishers told her that no one wants to read true crime written by a female author. So for years, she was published using the pen name Andy Stack. So they told her she couldn't be a successful female true crime author, and by God, she did it as well as any and better than most. So cheers to the late, great Ann Rule, and cheers to all of you out there. Until next time, be good, be kind, and don't litter. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.